Today on Ag News Daily. Of course, the hamburger demand, the ground beef demand has stayed strong, as we've seen even with, with the quick service restaurants. And I have a, quite a few of those as, as clients, and, and we, we, we talk every week. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell flying things solo today here on this Thursday afternoon. Ashton is headed out to a bachelorette party, I want to say. I can't remember for sure. So it's just me hosting the podcast today and very excited to be back with you all. Got some quick updates here before we get to today's interview. Going to keep things a little bit shorter today on this Thursday afternoon. I don't have a ton of news, to be honest, to report today. But the big headline I think we got to kick things off with here is the Port of New Orleans and Baton Rouge have officially been reopened. However, with a few caveats. I believe ADM and CHS have both put out public statements from their top-level officials saying that they're still looking to reroute shipments right now. So even though the ports are open down there, still sounds like it's a little bit of a mess to try and get things through to those ports. There are still a lot of areas that are without electricity. And so while these ports are opening, grain companies with terminals along the lower Mississippi River are looking to shift more of their committed grain to ports through the Pacific Northwest. And thankfully, we did see commodity prices recover just a little bit today compared to where they have been the rest of the week. Uh, Only finished about a penny higher on the day across the grain markets here. But overall, officials in some Louisiana parishes say that small towns or excuse me, a lot of towns along the coast are still uninhabitable and going to be that way for quite some time. And more so, we still don't know the true amount of damage that's still to come is that assessment. But as of Thursday, New Orleans said that they had restored power to about 167,000 customers, but still have about 791,000 customers still without power in that region. A lot of areas are trying to focus on power to hospitals and key infrastructures such as water, waste facilities, etc., But uh, we've seen the companies now pulled in emergency power line workers from at least 38 different states so it's continuing to shock the system down there appears we're probably going to have a FEMA intervention and there's just a lot to continue watching coming out of that story so we'll definitely keep our eyes to the ground there see what's going on that's really been the big one today is just what's happening down there with Hurricane Ida so those people are still in our thoughts and prayers still assessing damage I'm sure we'll have maybe some of those numbers next week if not maybe tomorrow but uh, from what I'm hearing like I mentioned yesterday this is similar levels to what we saw for Hurricane Katrina so really not a good situation at all going on down there but switching tracks a little bit here we have some folks going to strike more specifically Argentinian farmers are considering their options about a potential strike and They are trying to address here cattle trading in response to a government decision earlier this week to extend limits on beef exports another two months through to the end of October. And so now Argentinian farm associations are considering a strike for both grains and cattle in response to this decision. This has happened many times. This is not the first time we are reporting about this on 
on the podcast, but definitely something to keep an eye on there. And while that is not so good news and not so fortunate for Argentinian producers, that of course is for U.S. beef producers who get to then fill some of that void that uh, is happening on that front. Other than that, as far as top stories for today goes, we saw that surging COVID-19 cases are hammering Asian factories and could play their hand here in consumer goods, such as shoes and electronics manufacturing, such as technology and electronics. All those things could see a slight rocket here in prices as especially China is trying to get things back under wraps with this new Delta variant. And that's yet to be seen here how we see that rear its ugly head in the United States, but it is appearing to happen kind of worldwide. And so definitely something to keep an eye on there as well. In other news, the USDA released their export sales report this morning for the week ending August 26th. And while we did see a lot of shipments happen throughout the month of August, we have seen things slowly taper off here. For the week ending October, Excuse me, for the week ending August 26th, soybean sales rose to about 2.2 million tons versus 100 versus 1.825 million the previous week, and corn sales rose 859,000 tons versus 691,000 tons the previous week. So we did see both corn and soybean sales there up just slightly from the week prior, but like I mentioned, we really haven't seen a ton of shipments, a ton of sales, I should say, happening so far this week. And of course, shipments are not going to happen because, or shipments aren't going to happen at the volume they were because of the continued issues with Hurricane Ida. But like I mentioned, we did see at least corn stretched back up barely today after touching fresh seven-week lows and soybeans have also touched some not low not weak lows but have touched some lows as well as they continue to sag here and so overall just a not very pretty picture on this Thursday afternoon but Heavy rains are expected to ease some drought in the western Corn Belt here. Let's tie things up with a little bit of good news as we continue to watch the nation's drought monitor. They reflected some more widespread movement across areas of the Midwest and eastern parts of the central and northern plains to receive some beneficial rainfall. They said rainfall accumulation in these areas ranged from 2 to 12 inches, leading to one category improvement across areas of Dakotas, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, according to the National Drought Summary for the week ending August 31st. So very positive news there. As we head into harvest season here, it's expected that we could continue to see some of these rainfalls. Uh, Whether or not the La Nina weather pattern takes over and we see a drier harvest is still yet to be seen. But in other areas of the Midwest, modest rainfall led to the reduction of abnormal dryness in Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio. And temperatures are still remaining well above normal across these regions. So starting to look a little bit better on the U.S. drought monitor, but there are still some very severe areas across the western portion of the United States in California, Nevada, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, 
parts of the Dakotas as well. But as we creep into the Western Corn Belt, where we really see a lot of our commodities grown, things are starting to look a lot better there. It's really starting to improve. So definitely good news for producers, although really it's probably coming at a time when it's unfortunately, unfortunately a little too late to do any good for these crops. They're probably already at a point where they... They certainly uh, don't not need rain, but it's uh, probably not coming at a point where it's really going to help out a whole lot. So I think that's a quick update for today's news. Let's do a quick update here for today's weather before we hop over. Excuse me, not weather. Let's do a quick update on today's markets before we hop over into our interview for today. And kicking things off here in the corn market to start, we did see our way, clawed our way back up two and three quarters cents to end the day out at 525 and a half. In the soybean pits today, the November contract clawed its way back five and a half cents to close at 12.83 and a quarter. Chicago wheat today also trying to push upward as the December contract closed two and three quarters cents to end at 7.17. Hopping over into the livestock pits today, we saw some sell-off continue as the October live cattle contract down a dollar fifty two and a half to close at one twenty six oh five the deece down a dollar forty to close at one thirty two twenty in the feeder cattle pits today that weakness continued with the October contract not quite touching limit down today but did end three dollars lower on the day to end at one sixty five oh five the November down two dollars eighty cents to end at one sixty seven seventy two and a half in the lean hog pits today, we had some mixed trade. We're starting to see a little bit more strength here out into the deferred contracts. However, in the front month contract, October closed 30 cents lower to end at 89.85. The Dece down 15 cents to close at 82.32 and a half. And in February, we saw some strength as they closed 25 cents higher to end at 83.90. Wrapping things up today with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. The October contract down three cents today to close at 16.81. The November down 11 cents to close at 17.11. Now for today's interview, we're going to be playing a short clip here from Farm Journal's recent drought seminar, which I think comes at a very timely point. Are you seeing uh, uh, actually supplies of hay come into the area, and where's it coming from, and what's it costing? Uh, so we grow quite a, f- a fair amount of hay right here in our area. I don't, in fact, we probably export, uh, more than we import. Uh, good feeder type hay right now, I would say is 200 bucks, 200 to, 200 to 225. Uh, we bought some first crop hay early in the year as cheap as 170. Uh, but as, as, as the irrigation waters run out and, and the total lack of rainfall, uh, it's getting scarce and getting more expensive almost daily. So uh, a lot of our ranchers in this area, you know, they hay their meadows. They put up a lot of hay on their own, and I think we'll probably be able to get through this this winter. Uh, but there's sure not going to be uh, a lot of excess. Larry, are you seeing um, hay come in to North Dakota? You know, we are seeing some. But it's it's really really hard to find. Uh, you've got to go a long ways. Even for our uses here at the auction market, we're having to get it out of central Minnesota. We've gotten some out of North and South Dakota, but uh, there's very little, if any, left. There's you see a, a truck every once in a while with hay on it. I couldn't even tell you where it's coming from. I, I could I buy it off them because we still need a bunch more. But uh, 
and it's expensive. It's uh, most of the grass hay, and that's pretty much what, what we use, is 150 to $200 in the field. And then when you're talking about trucking it, in our case, 400 miles or more uh, gets really expensive. And for a rancher, uh, you know, in 2017, when we had the last drought, um, there was a lot of ranchers that went to other parts of the state and other states took their hay and equipment and put up hay and brought it back. But that was, the drought was not that widespread, so they got by, but it was very, very costly. And this year, there's basically none of that. And uh, they're just right now sitting at the kitchen table trying to figure out how many cows they're going to be able to hang on to. Most of them tell me they're going to be selling 20 to 30% of their herd. Some of them as many as 50% of their herd. And uh, as was mentioned earlier, uh, they're, you know, when we sell stock cows this fall, most of those will be complete dispersion. And Niels, I'm going to ask you if you're uh, um, hearing anything about hay there in, in Wyoming and what it's costing. Uh, I haven't uh, uh, picked up on a lot. I've, uh, I uh, contracted some hay to, for the price to be settled later uh, from the, the longtime suppliers. Uh, I've uh, seen a few things. It's kind of the same numbers as what the, has been stated already, the, what hay I have heard. But uh, very little around to, to move. It's uh, it's all being held pretty tight to to hold themselves together. See a lot of trucks coming by, but the license plates are from a long ways out. Uh, my next question I have is for John Nalivka, and uh, given these slaughter cows, and we talked about price and so forth, it's, we're seeing these uh, slaughter cow prices hold up pretty well, uh, and we're also seeing these uh, feeder cattle prices hold up pretty well. Uh, even in uh, uh, some of the drought regions. Uh, do we expect this to continue? Uh, yeah, I do. I think that, you know, on these cows, part, part of the thing on these cows, even though this cow slaughter has been as high as it's been, the price of the of the lean, the night, you know, 90s and 85s, which is primarily what you're taking off these, you know, utility cows, these 90s are, you know, have been hovering around 270 and well above 270 a pound, well above a year ago, and the and the the 85s have been around 260. So, as that and and that's driven by demand. As we've reopened the economy and restaurants opening, then you know this, and of course the hamburger demand, the ground beef demand has stayed strong, as we've seen even with with the quick service restaurants. And I have a quite a few of those as, as clients, and and we. We, we talk every week on, on those prices. And, uh, so it's, it's been, been driven by demand. So even though you've had the, the cow slaughter here and as high as it is, you've still got enough demand to hold that price up, which is coming back down to the cows, those, those slaughtered cows. The other part of it, and it's just as important, our imports of, of frozen, frozen grind from Australia is down significantly this year. As they've gone through a you know major liquidation and have gone into building herds this year, so uh, they've held cows off the market and and also what they have done and what what they have produced has gone to has largely been bought by China until China started arguing with them about the price. But uh, you know I guess for it does point out when you when you restrict the the total supply of of grind it does it does support the price you know, across the entire complex from the beef all the way down to those cows. 
I, you know, these prices have come up already on these feeder cattle. And I guess I was, uh, I've been somewhat hesitant to say that they would get to where they are simply because of the, the cost of gain in the feed yard and, you know, 70 roughly in a normal, normal year, about 65 to 70% of your cost in the feed yard is the first cost of the feeder. And so once you're, once you bought that feeder and placed him, there's little you can do about, you know, lowering your break even with, with, with your cost to gain is simply in the feeder animals. So I, I thought there'd be a lot more caution on, on pulling these prices, these feeders up. But I think, you know, over the last two or three weeks, there's been enough, uh, idea that these, these grain prices aren't going to hold. And those are largely driven by exports to China. So we were selling a lot of corn. We had record amount of corn on a weekly basis going to China as well as, you know, soybeans. And that's, that certainly held up that price. We also had that last world supply and demand estimates. The, it looks like we're going to have more acres. Well, number one, we had more acres. It looks like we're going to have a bigger crop than, than what we thought earlier. But, and then USDA took a little bit off their export numbers. So that's kind of softened up the, you know, the, the corn enough that everybody, I guess, felt like they could, you know, go ahead and pay more for the feeders, which is fine. And, uh, the other part of that too is I think the ideas are if you, is we get a lot of those feeders that are being, these lighter cattle that are being placed will come out next in the second quarter. So April, May. And there's, there's enough idea about those, you know, about steers being in that dollar 35 to dollar 40 range at that time. And if your break even's a dollar 28, 29, then that looks pretty good. As I've said on those drovers articles on that opportunity index, when the price of feeder cattle is high, you let them go and let somebody else feed them. When they're low, you can, you can take that risk and retain ownership, but, but trying to make, trying to lower the, the, you know, you know, increase your margin with a, with a high price feeder going in the feedlot and retain ownership is not my idea of a very good plan. But, uh, right. anyway, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. We just have a few minutes left and, and I, I kind of want to go back and, and, uh, ask you some questions about, um, the previous drought. And John alluded to that in his slides and the previous drought from, let's say 2011 to 2013. That drought, if you remember, started in the Southwest and really hit Texas and Oklahoma hard and, and then come up into Kansas and Missouri and, and spread from there. This drought, um, is predominantly in the West. And the reason I bring that up is because um, it, it has such an impact on ranchers, especially those who don't have another source of income. So the ones in the you know central part of the country may have some farming income that, that um, you know, after they depleted their cow herds, they were a little easier to get back into um, the business after it started raining. Now, it's going to be hard for people that have liquidated cow herds in Dakotas, uh, Wyoming, uh, because as we know, this doesn't happen overnight. So give me, um, give me your thoughts on, you know, what the future holds here. If it would start raining this fall and winter and next year, we're looking at a different, uh, a scenario. Niels, I'll start with you. I'd like to see a, a significant number of operators that are liquidated their cowherds to be looking to bring in some yearling cattle to to run for the summer. Um, 
and uh, that that uh, may or may not work depending on their situation on their federal permits. Some some they can do that, some they can't. Larry? In our part of the country, I think this is gonna take a lot longer than, than typically. Uh, one of the reasons is that, you know, we're in a short grass country and that would include, of course, South Dakota and at least Montana and Wyoming. And uh, these grasses are hurt. I mean, it's been, we went all winter without uh, much snow at all. In some cases, no snow at all. And so it's it was stunted to start with. A lot of those uh, cool season grasses didn't grow at all. And uh, so next spring, even if we get rain, I think it's going to be sparse. I think it's going to take at least another year before we really see enough hay to even start thinking about getting back to semi-normal. Jason, same question for you. You're in a little bit different country. There's more irrigation, um, um, you know, runoff, but you haven't had the, the, the snow melt. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I said earlier, I, th I think you're going to see a lot of these guys that have a maybe have a job in town and run 50 to 100 cows. Uh, I think we're seeing them get out. Uh, we've liquidated two or three the last couple of weeks. I got a couple more coming next week. And I think I think we're going to see those guys just maybe tear their fields up and plant some hay or, or go to farming a little bit. Uh, and just tap out of the cow business for a little while. I think our. Our bigger outside kind of guys, they're going to stay in the game. I mean, that's what they do. They're, they're kind of like me. They don't know what else to do. So they're just going to, they're going to buckle down and, and figure out a way to go forward. And, uh, I think if we have a good fall, if we, if we get into some moisture this fall, uh, we could be all right next year. We're, we're not, I mean, we're in tough, tough situation, but, uh, we're not ready to fold up the tents yet. And I think, I think, this certainly gives us an opportunity to improve our cow herd. We're going to be, I think, 25, 30% off the bottom is very realistic. I think that's going to happen to everybody. And, uh, but if we get a good fall and, and some, you know, good winter, we'll go into next spring with a, with a pretty solid cow herd and I think in pretty good shape. So. So, John, I think the, uh, the previous drought, we saw an improvement in, in the overall genetics of the cow herd. Um, which was the only silver lining I can think of of that drought. It was, it was significant. And, you know, I've talked a lot about, you know, demand over the last, you know, the last three or four years is, is picked up significantly. And, and that's part of it is just by liquidating, you know, when you, when you liquidate the cow herd to a 60 year low, you're taking the, you're taking the worst cows off the bottom first. And obviously when you take that many cattle out of the herd and you've taken out the bottom, you know, the, the, the poor, poor cattle, cows. And then when we started building back, we really took after the genetics and, and, you know, people, there's these programs every, you know, people, 44 farms is a example that comes right to mind, you know, with, with Walmart and, and people are buying those, buying those bulls and they're seeing a return, better return on their calves and, so I think if you, you know, we're, we we continue to move that direction, and I think that that drought and and that liquidation in 2012, 11, 12, and you know, it was certainly on the, you know, yeah, if, you know, if you're somebody, you know, that had to had to liquidate an entire cow herd, 
And then it was expensive getting back in that in 2013, 14, you had to pay a lot of money. I mean, we all know what those, those bread heifers were selling $3,000 and, and pears, you know, were, were significant, you know, and so it, it costs a lot to get in. We're not going back down. We're not going to a 60 year low and we're not going back to 2014 prices. I don't believe, but never say never. And, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's a good, there, there's always good things that come. I mean, you got to look at the, there is some positive over the, over the overall picture, you know, that, that it does improve the cattle herd. And, and, you know, we've seen, you know, just an example, the, the, the number of cattle grading choice or higher has been bumping, you know, 86 to 90% for the last two years. And 10 years ago, that number was 75%. Right. And and that certainly has a lot to do with beef demand and why we're selling beef. When you have quality, consistent quality, and and you know people know that and they're assured of that, they'll they'll buy beef. I I'm I'm not worried about beef demand really. You know unless they unless the environmentalists decide to take all the cows off the range out here, then, then I've got a problem. Well, again, that was a recent Farm Journal seminar talking about drought and some of the impact that has recently had on the country. But as we mentioned, it is starting to look a little bit better for folks. However, as I mentioned yesterday on the podcast, we are continuing to see hay and silage and some of those commodities being a little tight to find, a little hard to find, a little higher prices right now. So hopefully you're not in an area that's experiencing that, but it does to be appear does appear to be pretty widespread. Folks, Ashton is out tomorrow. We're going to be playing another interesting seminar from People's Company's Big Question in Land Management. And I will be co-hosting tomorrow with Dawson Schmidt, so do stay tuned. And a quick reminder, we'll be out on Monday celebrating Labor Day and markets will be closed. So we will be closed as well. But folks, if you are missing us over this long three-day weekend, you can find any of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com or you can interact with us on social media. Find us at agnewsdaily on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. With that, I'll let the people go. (laughs) 